You are listening to the Hope Church Weekly Message Podcast. Hope Church is located in Cleveland, Texas and meets on Sundays. Pastor Todd and the preaching team desire for this message to bring life in a dark world. For more information about Hope Church, visit HopeChurchCleveland.com. Morning. How is everybody this morning? So I have a question for you. I need to make sure I'm not alone, okay? Uh, how many of you like grocery pickup? Like from Walmart, H-E-B? I love grocery pickup. It saves me and my wife so much money because you know when you go into the grocery store hungry, right? <clears throat> you go in and all you needed was milk to finish your recipe for dinner that same night, right? But then you walk through and you put the frozen chicken nuggets in the basket. You're like, I'll eat those. I don't even know how this chip is pronounced, but I'm going to put it in the basket, right? Like you get everything and then you get home and you realize you didn't even grab your milk. (laughs) That's why I love grocery pickup because, because I just have to sit at home. I see what I don't have. I add what I don't have to my cart and then we just go drive and pick it up. There is no, no temptation down the aisles, right? You know, I feel sometimes we do this with sin too. You know, we walk into sin thinking that one simple mistake is not going to lead to anything. But by the time we walk out of that sin, we realize we put enough stuff in our cart that we don't even remember picking up. You know, today I want to talk about something that I would call King David's failure in a fishbowl. You say failure in a fishbowl, what does that mean? What that means is when you put a fish in a bowl, they're limited to the size of that bowl. They can't go anywhere else. They have no freedom The fish doesn't even know anything different. They've never experienced anything else. Maybe the little aquarium in the pet store. But when they're in that bowl, they don't know anything different. And sometimes they don't even know that they're captive. And you know, that's similar to King David in our passage today. So if you want to open up your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Uh, The little black Bibles in front of you, that is page 244. And if you have the Hope Church app, you can find the sermon notes there as well. Let me flip to it real quick. So, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 through 5, it says, In the spring of the year, in the time where kings would go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness. Then she returned home to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Wow, okay, starting off real fast, just roaring in, right? Five scriptures, and this crazy thing's already happened. David sees a woman bathing for, on her roof, and he decides that he wants to meet her. He wants to, to court her. He brings her in, and he lays with her, and all of a sudden, she's pregnant. You know, this brings me to my first point. It's that the first look is the temptation, and the second is the sin, You know, we have this idea that temptation is the sin. We get so worried because we feel like being tempted means that you're doing wrong when in fact temptation's actually normal. If you jump back to Genesis, you remember Adam and Eve? Everybody remember Adam and Eve? 
They were tempted by the serpent to eat from the tree of, uh, of knowledge of good and evil. They were tempted by the serpent, but they weren't faulted for the temptation. They were faulted for taking of the fruit and eating. Temptation is normal. You know, David could have easily walked right back into his house and forgot all about Bathsheba. He could have turned around, never thought of it again. He's not in trouble for noticing the naked woman bathing down from his roof. What gets him in trouble is that he sought her out and he made this decision to lay with her. When I was about 13 years old in junior high playing football, I had some friends send me a link to a website that I knew I definitely didn't need to visit. Visit the website. And when I realized that I didn't need to visit the website, exit out, freaking out, oh my gosh, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm never going to that website again. And then, you know, the thought pops into my head a little bit later and I'm like, well, I mean, my friends are doing that. It's not so bad. I could visit it again, right? And I can choose whether or not to visit again. It wasn't a sin for me to think about visiting. It's a sin, and I start actively sinning when I choose to type in those, that URL and travel to that website once again. With temptation, it's a battlefield of our mind. The victory doesn't happen until the end. The battle is lost if I visit the website, but the battle is won. Or the battle is lost if I visit the website, but the battle is won if I don't. You know what I'm trying to say is that we're worried about being tempted and forget that our temptation is not the sin. It's how we choose to respond to that temptation that's the sin. David chose to respond poorly, right? David chose to respond in a way that hopefully none of us would respond when we're in the face of temptation. He chose to lay with a woman who wasn't his wife. She wasn't clean. This is not how David should have been spending his day today. And unfortunately, it doesn't stop there either. Number two, sin is never satisfied. If you want to jump back into scripture, we're going to start in uh, verse six. And it says, so David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah dwell in booths and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house and to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next, and David invited him. And he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made, made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. Now I know we're getting into a lot of scripture today, but every piece of this passage is important. Everybody say important. And here's why. David was willing to sin again and again instead of owning up to his sin. David used his authority to try to deceive Uriah. I don't know if you caught that, but David called Uriah back from the war that they were fighting to try to convince him to sleep with his wife because she was pregnant. 
He thought, oh, if I can get Uriah to go lie with his wife, take a break. When, he, when she tells him she's pregnant, he'll think that is his, and it covers up what I did, what covers up my sin. Uriah, being the great soldier he was, and if you jump to 2 Samuel chapter 23, my dad actually pointed this out to me. It talks about how Uriah was one of David's 37 mighty warriors. And Uriah, being that mighty warrior that he is, says, no, David, I apologize. I know you're the king, but, but my duty is to be with my men and my general because we're fighting a war. Am I supposed to let them sleep down here while I go lie with my wife and have a good time? Or am I supposed to stay with my men so we can go back to battle and fight the war? David lies again, and David's mad that Uriah will not go lie with his wife, so he tries to get him drunk to see if he'll go back again. That's the third time he sinned in this, in this time. If you, if you keep taking notes, sorry, if you're taking notes, he slept with Bathsheba. That's the first sin. Second sin, he lies to Uriah to try to impregnate his wife, and the third is when Uriah will not do it, he tries to get him drunk, so he'll do it on accident. You know, there's a video, uh, I don't remember if it's on like ridiculousness or America's Funny Some Videos. It's one of those like send in your tape, win a million dollars type situations. And there's a man and he's like in the woods and there's this huge bear. And they're just like hanging out. I think he's got like a drink in his hand and they're just chilling out, whatever. All of a sudden out of nowhere, the bear just swipes him and starts attacking him. The bear swipes him and starts attacking him. And I'm like sitting there and I'm freaking out because this is like a family show and here this guy is getting attacked by a bear and his family's trying to win a thousand dollars. I don't understand. <laughs> But my point to that being is that sin is not a domesticated pet. Sin is a wild animal that will tear you to pieces when you least expect it. Sin is not going to sit back and let you do your thing and just hang out with it. Sin is going to attack you, it's going to seek you out, and it's going to tear you apart. David is so wrapped up in his sin right now that he doesn't even realize He's lying and he, he stole Uriah's wife from him, basically. He's so wrapped up in it, he doesn't realize that it's tearing him apart. You know, it's, it's funny when I read this. I, I think about like when a little kid tries to lie to their mom about whether they like ate dessert before dinner or, or didn't clean their room or something. And, and they start with a, oh, I cleaned my room. And then you kind of walk closer to the room and they're like, well, I started cleaning my room, but I haven't really cleaned it yet. But like, you don't want to see that. Just a, it's a little bit messy, but I'm working on it. And then by the time you get there, you realize it's not done at all. I feel like David's kind of in that same situation. He's like, well, no, I'm okay. Everything's okay. I'm just going to have, I'm going to have Uriah sleep with his wife. Everything's going to be fine. Oh, well, I'm going to have to get him drunk because he's not sleeping with his wife. So I don't know what I'm going to do. And then we get to... 2 Samuel verse four, chapter 11, verse 14, and it starts like this. It says, In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah on the, in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him, that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And, as, and the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. And then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. He instructed the messenger, when you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger rises and if he says to you, why did you go so near the city to fight? Did you not know they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Ambalek and the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from your wall so that he died in Thebes? 
Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, the men gained the advantage over us and came out against us in the field. But we drove them back to the entrance gate and the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, thus shall you say to Joab, do not let this matter displease you for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. And bore him a son. And then David, what David had done had displeased the Lord. That scripture rolls right into my third point, number three. That's the, the snowball effect of sin. So when we get to the chapter, the end of chapter 11, Uriah is dead. He was killed on the battlefield. David was so caught up in what he did, and he did whatever it took, even killing one of his mighty men. You see, anybody familiar with a snowball? When it starts at the top of a mountain and it rolls down, it grows and grows and grows until eventually it just knocks down anything in its way. It started with a simple look. And now many men are dead, including the man David wronged. We can get so caught up in our sin. And when we continue to sin, it creates an avalanche of issues that do not care what they tear down in the process. We get so caught up in our sin, we don't even realize what we are destroying. I also want to uh, show you a quick clip from one of my favorite movies, uh, Finding Nemo. Anybody ever seen Finding Nemo? This scene is actually at the, after the end credits. So if you didn't stay past the credits back in 2003 when this movie came out, you might be seeing this for the first time. But this is when the fish in the dentist office are, are trying to escape in their, in their plastic baggies. Go ahead and roll that video, please. Barbara, uh -huh. I don't understand it. Here this thing has a lifetime guarantee and it breaks. I had to clean the tank myself, take all the fish out, put them in bags, and where'd the fish go? Come on, Pete! You got it, that's it. You can do it. That's the shortest red line I've ever seen. Come on, Peach. Now what? <laughs> That's a great scene, right? I remember being a kid, and the whole time in this movie, whenever they're talking about this great escape plan, I, I got so excited, and I'm rooting for the fish, right? Everyone's rooting for them. You want them to get out. You want them to see the ocean. They're tired of being in this dentist's office. And then you cut to this clip, and they're stuck in their plastic bags. And I actually didn't realize this till I was watching this movie, preparing for this message, Tacey and I were just watching it randomly, and I was like, failure in a fishbowl, failure in a fishbowl. They think that they've escaped their captivity from the dentist office when really they're still stuck in their, uh, their, their plastic bags, even more stuck than, bef than before. Because technically they have their freedom. They're, they're free from those four aquarium walls, but now they're stuck floating in the ocean in plastic bags. Now, they might know a swordfish that can come, you know, poke the bag, get them out, but odds are they don't. 
And so they thought they had escaped their captivity and they thought they had achieved their freedom, but they're still trapped in their bags even more so. You know, sometimes the worst part of our sin is we don't realize that how trapped we really are. When you think of that fish in a bowl, like I said, they're so bound to whatever size bowl you have them in. They don't know anything different and they don't know they're trapped. They don't know they're trapped till they get that taste of freedom. But sometimes that freedom is just a, a mirage that we think we've found ourselves in when really we're deeper in sin than we ever thought we could be. David has sinned so much to the point that he killed a man. And I thought it was interesting. I'm kind of a Bible nerd as I was reading this. When you notice in the beginning, and he says it wrote at the beginning of chapter, or at the beginning of verse 14, he says, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. The note that told Joab to sit Uriah at the front line to have him killed was delivered by the hand of the man in the letter. Uriah delivered his own death note, if you will. And that's sick to me to think of David writing this note, handing it to Uriah, not even realizing what he's doing, and Uriah handing it to Joab just to be put on the front lines to die. You know, there is hope, though, when you jump into chapter 12. Um, Nathan comes to David, and he, and I'm not going to read the scripture, but he tells him the story of a rich man and a poor man. A rich man had plenty of flock and herds, and a poor man only had one little ewe. But when a visitor comes to visit the rich man, instead of giving him uh, some of his flock to eat, he takes the one ewe from the poor man and kills it to have the visitor's meal. When I love uh, VeggieTales. If you watch VeggieTales, I know I'm using a lot of animated uh, illustrations today. I hope you bear with me, youth pastor, you know. Uh, in VeggieTales, they tell the story of David and Bathsheba, but it's King George and the rubber ducky. He, he has all these rubber duckies and he sees somebody with another rubber ducky and he wants that rubber ducky and the, the story goes on the same. But one thing that's really cool is they have Nathan come in at the end to tell King George what he's done and he sings a little song. Now I'm not going to sing for you today, but if you go back and watch that, <laughs> if you go back and watch that, he sings the whole story of the rich man and the poor man. And, and just like David does in the Bible, King George gets angry. And he's mad. And, and King David, uh, going back into scripture, gets so mad that he tells Nathan to bring him the rich man that has sinned against the poor man and he's going to have him put to death for what he's done. And then Nathan says, oh yeah, guess what, King David? And David's like, what? And he says, oh, that's you. David's like, wait a minute. Are you serious? This, this is me. And he gets so angry at what he's done and at his sin and he just falls to his knees and he repents and, and he, he asks for forgiveness for what he's done. And so that's a great thing, right? There's redemption in what he has, but it took him getting angry. He's gone through this entire process of sin after sin after sin. This snowball of sin is just piling down into his life, about to take over him, about to wrap him up in everything. And then he finally, it clicks when he gets angry and he repents. So what does this mean for us? Number one, are you picking up something that God never wanted you to have? Are you putting sin into your life or things into your life that God has never intended for you to have? Number two, do you have sin in your life that you need to own up to? It's time for believers to stop being a victim to their sin and owning up to their mistakes. 
because we are always going to be tempted, but it is our choice to fall into that temptation. Sin doesn't happen on accident when it comes to temptation. When you are tempted and you make the decision to do that sin, you are failing. Are you ready to own up to those sins and to those failures? And number three, are you ready to get angry at your sin? Are you ready to get angry because you may not even realize that you are neck deep in your sin and in this, this, these issues? You know, I'm so glad that David was able to repent and become the, the king that we all know and love in the, in the future stories. And, and I'm really excited when we talk about David's legacy next week. But this story and this passage really goes to show you that, that we make mistakes. Now, I hope that your mistakes aren't necessarily as dramatic as, as David's because that's a really big mess. But I also just want to say that it's time that you get angry at your sin, own up to it, and then move past it through the love and grace of Jesus. Have everybody stand this morning. You know, sometimes as Christians, we feel like we don't want to own up to our sin where, where people can see because we don't want them to know that we're struggling. We don't want anyone to know that we're going through things. But what better time than this in a place in this atmosphere to say, you know what, I'm going to get angry, I'm going to get mad, and I'm going to throw my sin out the door. You know, sorry, I'm just feeling the spirit on my heart a little bit today. Is that all right? You know, I feel like sometimes we try to dismiss some of our smaller sins as like not important. We just brush it off under the rug. And then we pay more attention to maybe our bigger sins. But I just feel like today, if you have like little sin in your life, and, I, and I, don't really, I don't care how small it is or how large your sin is. Today is the day to own up to that and to say, I'm no longer sweeping things under the rug, but I'm putting it out in the open and I'm saying, God, forgive me. We've got to get angry at the small stuff just like we'd get angry at the big stuff. And so today, if you're ready to get angry, we want to stay safe because, because we know that, that there's a lot of sickness going around. But these altars are going to be open for you to come and for you to get mad at your sin and give it to God. So as Pastor Mo is going to sing, I just want to encourage you today to get mad at your sin. Put down the things that you're not supposed to pick up. And, and let's, let's throw away that sin and move into what God has for us. Amen.